I don't like big uh, introductions, mainly because then you've got to try and live up to them. <laughs> and um, in actual fact, uh, they've uh, allotted me the last slot in a series of teachings that has been going on for um, weeks now, that uh, quite often on Sunday mornings, uh, we've been coming back to the theme of discipleship. And it so happens that this is the, the last Sunday and I got slotted in there. Now, those of you that have been here, especially last week, you know that last week, Jared summed up brilliantly the life of a disciple. What it's all about, where you're going, what the goal of discipleship is. And uh, I, I would not want to try to top that. So I'm going to come from a different angle this morning. First of all, let's look at last week because it's going to flow on from it. The four stages that Jared uh, shared with us uh, in discipleship, in following Jesus, is you start off striving. That's trying to just about get from one Sunday to the next without sinning too much really baby Christian, really weak Christian, striving. And then you eventually grow to thriving, where you're beginning to get it right. It's not that you're sinless, but you're starting to sin less. And so you go from striving to thriving. You're beginning to grow up, okay? Uh, but then, as you begin to get things right on the inside, it begins to show on the outside, and you go from striving to thriving to influencing the people around you. And so what's happening on the inside is starting to leak out and touch the people around you. So you go from striving to thriving to influencing and then influencing more and more till eventually you get to be targeting, if you like, your influence and you can even change culture, society and nations which is a big goal for discipleship, right? Yes. And that's the, the thing that was laid out to us so brilliantly last week, how uh, we are all on this journey. We start with striving, we go on to thriving, we go on to influence, we go on to transforming. And that was the, the path of the disciple, right from its beginning, small beginnings, to its brilliant ending. Now, this week, um, I want to sort of take another look at this because my impression is that when I'm presented with an overview which is so brilliant, so ambitious, so great, so glorious that uh, I will sort of start to feel a bit put off, um, a little bit underconfident, a little bit, I could never do that. I could never do that. I could never go there. I could never be such a strong Christian that I actually influence society, yep. nations. To go from striving all the way to transforming, it seems to be such a big step. Actually, it takes a long time. It's a development. But it seems to be such a grand and glorious goal that uh, you really begin to feel that it's too much for me. I could never do that. I could never go there. And so what I want to do this week is to point out that 
really, if you're going to go on a long journey, you just concentrate on the next step, and then another step, and another step. In fact, to go on a journey around the world, all you have to do is keep walking. Okay? And so what I'm going to look at today is quite simply the one thing you need. One thing. Say one thing. One thing. The one thing you need to get all the way from striving to transforming nations. One thing. It seems to be so complicated. It seems to be so demanding. It seems that you're going to have all sorts of skills and abilities in order to get to that final goal of being an influencer of nations. And it seems too much for us, right? It seems daunting. But that daunting prospect does not need to be a daunting prospect because there's just one thing you have to keep on doing to get from striving all the way to transforming. One thing. Say one thing. And I'll just bring it down to one word to start with. Sensitivity. Say sensitivity. 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 Now push your false teeth back in and say it again. Sensitivity. Sensitivity. Okay. What we need to progress in following the master is to be able to hear his voice and to be able to see the world as he sees it. That's spiritual sensitivity. And all a disciple needs to go from striving to thriving, for example, is to hear God. It's to listen to him. It's to follow him by listening and seeing him. And so that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning, the, the way to increase and develop our sensitivity to our master. Then you become a follower who begins to mature in his ability as a disciple, yeah? And you just do it by listening, by seeing, by keeping your eyes on things and seeing things as he sees them and hearing what he has to say about those things. Sensitivity to God will take you all the way from striving to transforming. One thing. If you're sensitive to God, he'll take you through. If you're listening to God, he'll take you through. If you're watching and seeing the world as he sees it, he'll take you through. It's that sensitive. You see, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit regenerates your spirit. That's your receiver. That's where you're able to appreciate the things of the spirit, the things of the invisible around the things of God. You need a sensitive spirit. All a disciple needs to get all the way from the beginning to the end is a sensitive spirit. And really, you've got that. You just have to develop it. You get it, have to get used to hearing God. And the more you get used to hearing God, the more your life will change, the more you'll influence other people, and eventually you'll be transforming nations. It's just that one thing, sensitivity. Okay, so let's have a look at that then. I want to uh, go to a passage in Scripture that, uh, that, that sort of um, Jesus is teaching in the Gospel of John, chapters 8, 9, and 10. Don't worry, I'm not going to read whole chapters or do a lot of it, but in that period... He touches a lot on this subject of how to be a follower, okay? And uh, 
In that passage, um, it starts off, or the bit that we will start off with is just after, uh, by the way, just to give you some background, this is dealing with a period in the last year of Jesus' ministry, the year of opposition, where his first year is three years he was ministering. The first year was a year of inauguration when everything was, was beginning to take off and develop in his ministry and people were beginning to hear about him. And then the middle year was the year of popularity when thousands and thousands were coming to listen to him and he was, he was the, the, the most popular person in the nation sort of thing. But that popularity... Uh, caused jealousy among the Pharisees and the religious establishment. And so the third year becomes the year of opposition. When the, his, his um, detractors uh, started to snipe at him and attack him in every possible way to try and pull him down to size, as it were. Okay, And so it's in this year of opposition towards the end of his ministry that uh, John chapters 8, 9 and 10 deal with. Okay. And um, in actual fact, Jesus is still teaching. We're still thousands of people coming to hear him. But there was now a sort of a different mix in the spectrum of people that were listening. Um, You had his disciples, of course, his followers. There were not only just 12, but scores that would follow him all the time. Scores, all right? He could send out 70-odd not just the 12, 70-odd, to go and uh, do, copy him and go out and preach the kingdom like he was doing. They'd seen him do it, they'd followed him, and now they're going and doing it. So um, that, was, that happened just before this. And so we've got him in this year of opposition, and he's got disciples listening. He's got the, the, the ones who are just on the edges dabbling, if you like, listening. You have the ones who are doubting And staying on the fringes of the crowd, they would be listening, they would come as well. And then over this side, you've got the worst section of all, you've got the detractors, you've got the Pharisees, or as John often says, the Jews. (laughs) It was just a a summing up word for all the opposition to Jesus. He just called them the Jews. So there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all the ones that followed them and the religious establishment in general. They turned up. These are all coming to listen to Jesus. And Jesus, when he is teaching, is teaching all these people at once. You know, when, when you go somewhere to teach and preach, you often think, well, who, who, who am I going to be talking to? And you, you change what you're going to say in order to try and be of use to the particular people. I mean, is it, is it young people? Is it old people? Is it leaders? You know, I mean, you change what you're going to say. But Jesus, in a masterly way, is, is teaching a whole spectrum of people from his devoted followers all the way around to his enemies, and he's teaching them all at once. They're all there. The whole crowd is there. The whole mix is there. All of life is there. And Jesus was just teaching them all. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So while he's doing this in this year of opposition, he's just uh, had a a bit of a, a do where the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery at the beginning of chapter eight of John. And uh, having dealt with that, he immediately comes out with a discipleship type saying. He says this. I'm going to read it from the message. It's John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. Okay, so he goes straight from dealing with the the Pharisees who were trying to uh, trip him up, And he says, right, now, I am 
the light of truth, you might say. And in fact, the whole of that chapter then goes on to uh, he's wrangling about what's true and what's false and who is he. Yeah, so they, they wanted to, to call him a demon or a, or a devil or something. Who is he? And so it's in that chapter he goes on to talk about truth, okay? And uh, Jesus says, I am the world's light. When I read that, I immediately thought, light that people follow. I immediately thought of the sunflowers. Now, I know there's various flowers that do this, but you know the speciality of these huge flowers, sunflowers is that they're closed up at night. Then as the sun comes up, they open up. And then they follow the sun as it marches across the sky and only close up again when it goes down again. They are sun followers. They are light followers. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world and my followers... They are people of the light. They follow the light. Okay, and so Jesus is the light of the world. And um, he's talking to the, the whole crowd. But in actual fact, what he's talking about is the fact that there is something which I am shedding, light, sharing, which some people are able to receive, but not others. He says, my followers are not going to stumble around. That means that those who weren't his followers are going to trip over things. They're in the dark. And so he's talking about people that can appreciate the light, that can see the light, that can receive the light. When you're born again, what the Holy Spirit does in you is regenerate your spirit so it works properly. Okay, that's what's born again, actually, is your spirit. And that's the bit of you with which you can receive from God. And what you receive, Jesus calls light. Okay, it's, 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 it's me sort of shining into you truth, the light of truth. In fact, in, in, this passages, in these passages, this is where it actually says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Okay, and so we receive truth, not just by reading words or hearing words, but by receiving revelation from God. You receive truth in your spirit. You get the idea? You receive truth in your spirit. You have the ability... To receive truth straight from God if you're born again. That's all his followers. I know we've got to develop the ability to hear God, but actually the, the basic mechanism is in you from the moment you're born again to hear God. All right? And so when birds are migrating, let me read it because it's scientific stuff. Scientists tell us that the way birds migrate is that they can see magnetic fields. The retina of their eyes have retinal proteins called cryptochromes that can perceive magnetic fields. They navigate by being aware of lighter and darker formations like shadowy patterns superimposed on the ordinary visible geography. So they can see everything that you can see, but also they are aware it's, it, I suppose it's like flying around in the, in, in the middle of a, a great shadowy compass. And so they can see the, the directions of the magnetic lines and force fields and navigate by them. In other words, if they are 
at a certain angle to the magnetic field all the time, they know they're going to go in a straight line from where they are to where they need to be, and sometimes thousands of miles. And as long as they're not blown off course by some great storm, they'll get there. And eventually, they actually recognize the physical geography of the place they want to be. And so that's how they migrate. They can see what the rest of us can't see. And that's how Christians are able to be a disciple, to follow Jesus and get through life. It's because they are able to have another source of information being fed into the way they live. They can see what the other people can see. The, the Pharisees, were, were, were actually, next chapter, the Pharisees say, you're saying we're blind and your followers can see. And Jesus said, yeah. <laughs> In other words, this world is a dark world full of blind people, but those who are born again are able to see the light of life, are able to perceive, able to be sensitive. This is sensitivity we're talking about. Sensitive to the eternal realm, to the spiritual realm, to God, to the spirit of God. And so that sensitivity means you've got light and the person standing next to you who's not born again yet doesn't have light. Yeah. They can see, they can see. And so disciples navigate because they can see what other people who have not yet been born again cannot see. Okay, so that's migrating birds. There's another uh, wildlife sort of thing. Have you ever noticed on TV documentaries, wildlife documentaries, when they're trying to film at night, they use infrared light and cameras and goggles that can detect infrared light. And so in pitch blackness, they use this light and this equipment and they can see as clearly as day. Okay, that's a bit like the difference between the spiritual sensitivity I'm talking about and just ordinary people who are not yet born again. The Pharisees in this case, that you, they, they, they can't see. It's, this world is a dark world. There's not a lot of truth about. But when you're born again, the Spirit of God gives you the ability to appreciate eternal things, spiritual things, God things. You can see where other people can't. You can see in the dark. And so, yeah, Jesus is teaching all the time about the difference between the followers who are on this end of the spectrum as he's teaching and his detractors and enemies who are on this side. He says they can see to follow because they're my followers. They can see and these over here cannot see. And the Pharisees say, you're calling us blind now. Yes. In other words, he's, he's, teaching, he's teaching for the sake of the disciples, but he's also giving truth to those who are not yet his disciples. He, he taught the whole spectrum in these chapters because everybody was there listening. It's very public, okay? And so, Jesus says, I am light. I am truth. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And it's truth that you will see as light. You will perceive. You will be sensitive to what I am showing you and telling you. Right. That's chapter 8. Chapter 9. He comes across a man that was born blind. And don't forget, earlier he's already said, I'm the light of the world. I am this world's light. And so he repeats it. it well, it's... Man born blind was there. He repeats, I'm the light of the world, and then he heals him. 
Now, he heals him in that, that way, which is uh, very intriguing because he takes dust and mud and spits on it and makes that sort of a mud pie and, and presses it into the sightless eye sockets of the man born blind. A bit reminiscent of how he made Adam in the first place, to be honest, because he was made of mud and God imparted something into that mud and then he made a human being. Jesus made eyes. <laughs> okay, and so he pressed all this mud that he had put his own saliva and breath into into the eye sockets of the man, told him to go across the city and wash in the pool of Siloam, which the man did. And when he washed, he began to see. And that caused the opposition, the authorities, to go into overdrive, to try and disprove this mighty miracle, which was being noised around all of Jerusalem. This all happened in Jerusalem, by the way. Okay, and so... It's, it's really become the news of the day. Man born blind receives sight. And so the Pharisees get hold of the man and they even get hold of his parents and give them a hard time to try and say, this man wasn't really blind, was he? He's not really born blind, you know. And so they, they had a go and had a go of most of, of chapter 9. And in the end, they got so frustrated with the man because the man was saying, what do you keep asking me these questions for? Do you want to be his followers as well? Do you want to be his disciples as well? And that really miffed him off. And so they threw him out. They, they just excommunicated him, sort of physically chucked him out in the street. And, and so when Jesus heard that uh, they'd chucked this uh, guy out, he goes and finds him. And he says, hi, he says, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which was a, a code word, if you like, in those days for the Messiah. You know, the sent one. And uh, the man says, oh, well, yes. Uh, well, who is he? Where is he? Well, Jesus says, uh, it's actually me. Don't you recognize my voice? I just healed you. Of course, he was blind when he, when he did all that. So the guy says, oh, you're the one who healed me. And he believed and he worshipped him. So he became a follower. Okay? And so Jesus came along and he got hold of this man and he said, Right, you need to believe in who I am. Then you can really see. And it was in that at sort of uh, discourse there where he said in front of the, the, the Pharisees, This guy can now see. And the Pharisees said, you're, you're saying we're blind. And yeah, that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> And so he's been talking for two chapters on followers who are followers of the light. They are sensitive to information and input from the spiritual realm, from God, from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus. Sensitivity allows you to function in this world, but also in the world alongside the spiritual realm. So being sensitive to spiritual things is so important to follow. And of course, the, the man that was healed, he became a follower too. And then Jesus abruptly changes the illustration. He's been talking about light and darkness, yeah, and truth, and error, and blind, and sealed. And suddenly, chapter 10 starts, I'm the good shepherd. Change the picture. He's, changed. he's not changed the subject, he's just changed the picture. He says, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. Okay, my sheep, no, my voice. So he's changed it from uh, visual to audible. You see, disciples 
are those that are able to see the invisible and hear the inaudible. They're sensitive to God. And you don't always see God. He's an invisible God. And you don't always hear a physical voice. So you have to learn to use your spirit's sensitivity to see God and to hear God, to see the invisible. It says about um, uh, Moses, no, Abraham, Abraham, that he endured as seeing the invisible one. This invisible one, but he endured as if he saw the invisible one. That's, that's a, a lovely picture of a, of a follower, okay? You, you are following, you are acting on orders that are actually not able to be easily appreciated by those who are just onlookers. You have a remote control from another dimension, yeah? You're sensitive to another dimension. You are living on the... the um, level of that dimension and to the dictates and orders of that dimension and so you live differently you're, you're, you're a receiver you're a receiver, you're sensitive where am I? okay, chapter 10 Jesus says I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me John 10, 14 15 says just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, the difference between this auditory illustration of hearing his voice and the visual illustration of seeing the light is really to do with relationship. You see, the light can be a bit cold. Okay, okay, I, I can see because of that light, but I don't have too much relationship except that I can see things because of that light. But the shepherd and the sheep talks about a relationship. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. There's a relationship. I lay down my life for the sheep. There's love there. Okay? And so he hasn't changed the subject. He's just changed the illustration to bring something else out, which is there is a love relationship between Jesus and his followers. There's a love relationship between those who are listening to him, those who are seeing what he wants them to see, those who are hearing what he's saying about things. There is a love relationship. And so it is this intimacy that comes out as he changes the illustration from light to sheep and shepherd. Okay? My sheep, verse 27, chapter 10. Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Notice... My sheep, my voice, my relational terms, my followers. You see, the life of a disciple is defined by his or her relationship with Jesus. The life of a disciple is... And of course, that means for that life to develop, you've got to keep listening to Jesus. You've got to see what he wants. You've got to hear what he wants. You've got to hear the way he wants a certain challenge to be met. You've got to hear when he wants you to go and do something or not go, to, go and do something. You want to hear when he wants you to say something or not say something. There needs to be remote control. The more remote controlled a disciple is, the more powerful they are. Because that's the way Jesus lived. And he is the final prototype disciple himself because he always followed the Father. He did nothing unless he could see the Father doing it. He said nothing unless the Father told him to say it. Okay, that's in John as well. Okay, and so, but uh, let's get back to sheep for a bit. Sheep, all right? Sheep, 
follow by hearing. I want to change again from what Jesus was using. I want to use another animal, considerably smaller. It's called a flittermouse or a bat. Did you know bats see with their ears? Bats emit high-pitched squeaks and as a result of the returning echo are able to navigate. They can tell a brick wall from a, a tree, from um, a telephone line, uh, from another bat, a bird, and even a moth, which is food flying by. They can detect that just by listening. Just by listening. They, they hear, okay? And as long as they keep calling and listening, they don't go wrong. Okay, so, so it's sort of going along and uh, ping, bong, oh, wall, go this way. And sort of ping, ping, oh, a tree, we missed that. And uh, ping, 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 a moth, food, grab it. And so they are, they are calling and receiving and calling and receiving. And the life of a disciple is a life of calling on God and receiving an answer. That's how you get guided. That's how you navigate. Calling on God and receive. You see, hearing God is desperately important if you want to get from striving to thriving. If you want to get from thriving to influencing. And even if you want to get from influencing to transforming nations, you just got to hear God. He's the one who guides you. He tells you what the next step is. All you need to know is the next step. You've got to be hearing God all the time. And in order to be hearing God... All, now, sometimes God will intervene and talk to you when you haven't asked him anything. This is what he did with Moses. He turned up in the burning bush. This is what he did with Abraham. He says, uh, beginning in chapter 12 of Genesis, the Lord said to Abraham, move out. Okay, this, there was no introduction to that. He just turned up and says, it's time to go. All right, uh, Moses, burning bush, time to serve me. And, and with all these greats in the Bible, Samuel, a boy, God was talking to him and he, and he had to hear from the priest how to, how to answer, speak, Lord, I'm listening now. Yeah, and so God talks and sometimes he initiates the conversation, but most of the time with his disciples, he wants a two-way conversation all the time. He wants you to call and then he will answer. Ask, yes. seek, knock. When you initiate, you always get an answer. The door always opens, yeah? When you initiate, seek, you will find. In other words, when you initiate with God, when you ask, when you make a step of faith and say, Lord, what am I going to do about this? And, and how do I face that? And what about this problem? And what about this pressure? When you initiate by doing a bad thing, and making a noise, the echo coming back is the answer, all right? Sometimes, you know, a bat goes bling, and a beep or whatever he does, and the, the response is nil. Can't hear anything. And that means it's okay. There's space there. And sometimes when you pray about a thing, all you get is a piece. You don't get a big sort of, you know, purple writing in the sky. You just get a piece about the decision you have to make. Yeah, and that's God as well. Yeah. That's God as well. 
he gives you peace, or he answers specifically, or he gives you a word from Scripture, or he gets a fellow Christian to come up and say something to you. Then if God has loads of ways of answering, as long as you call. Ask, seek, knock. Initiate, and you will receive information. Initiate information. Now that information can come in various ways, but of course that's part of the learning curve of learning to hear God. The answers come in various ways. You can get an answer from the television or the newspaper. You can get an answer from just opening your Bible in your regular, ordinary reading and suddenly a verse stands out. By the way, if you want to develop your hearing of God, keep a journal beside your bed. So if you wake up and something swims into your mind, write it down. Or if you're reading and your regular Bible reading, which is so vital, and that verse pops out and hits you between the eyes, underline it. You've heard from God. That's important. Yeah. And what you wrote in the journal last night, and you, you think, oh, did I write that? Oh, yeah. You're hearing from God. You see... From the moment you're born again, you're able to hear from God, but you don't always recognize it. Yeah? You don't always recognize it. And so when something comes along that could be God, write it down. Now, I have to say that because God's voice is not the only voice clamoring for your attention. Yeah? You've got the world trying to influence you. They're influencers. Yeah? The godless world wants to influence your thinking. That's a voice that's clamoring for attention. Your flesh wants to influence your decision-making. It wants your decisions to be selfish, proud, self-seeking. That's the flesh. Flesh has got a loud voice. And you've got to get that one out of the way as well. And then there's the devil. He usually hops on the bandwagon with the world and the flesh, twisting it. He's a liar. And so you've got the world and the flesh and the devil clamoring for your attention. And in the midst of all this, you've got to understand how to be sensitive to the voice of God, the Holy Spirit talking to you. Yeah? So you've got to learn to listen and value when you realize it is God. And what if you've heard something and you're not quite sure if it's uh, God talking to you or not, you know? And and it's sort of some, some big thing and... And you think, wow, well, there's a, there's a few tests you can put on it to make sure it's the voice of God. First of all, does it accord with Scripture? And if you are a young Christian and you haven't done all your Bible reading and got all your scriptural knowledge up to date, consult someone more mature, a leader, who does have some of the scriptural background to shed light on what you think God has said to you. So check with scripture, check with leadership, yeah? Check things out when you're wondering whether you've heard from God. Check things out. Check how it feels. Is it, feeling, is it feeding your pride? I tell you what, <laughs> I remember years ago, I was quite a young teenager and some of the older uh, young people in our church, two guys, all right, um, they were praying together and they were convinced that God said to them, go to China. Okay. And so they immediately packed their bags, jumped on the train, 
Next day, they're standing on the dockside at Southampton. No money, no passport, no sense. You see, they hadn't heard from God. It was just an exciting thought. If they'd checked things out a bit, they might be in China today. But no, they just went off half-cocked without really checking it out properly. God's talking all the time, but you've got to understand and hear His voice and not let the flesh or the world or just excitement take you off course, yeah? The, the tri- I, I believe there was a hollow laugh from the pit of hell as they stood on that deck that morning. Not because they'd embarrassed themselves. I mean, they just got on a train and came back. Not because they'd embarrassed themselves, but I want to tell you something. Both of those guys would probably be very reticent about hearing God in the future because they got it wrong once, yeah? Be careful hearing God. Check it out. Check with people. And above all, get confirmations of things that are big, okay? Get confirmations. Gideon got all those confirmations. You know the fleeces and things? Is this really God saying to me, do this? Well, confirm it, please, confirm it, please. And God doesn't mind you asking for confirmations. So if something rather radical comes along and you think, oh, is that God? Ask for a confirmation. A confirmation separately, differently to the way you received the first word. Confirmation from another angle. You get the idea. Get confirmation. And so... Scripture, check with leaders, get confirmation. But at the end of that, if it fits all those, ticks all those boxes, you've heard from God, even if it does mean go to China. And when you've heard from God, you've got something to grab hold of. You've got something to grab. I've got lots of stories about hearing from God, which I won't have time to share with you this morning. But the thing is, when God talks to you and you know it's God, you've got to get hold of it. Okay? If he's promised to heal you of of a a sickness, you've got to get hold of it. You've got to grip onto it with both hands. Yeah? You've got to say, you've said this, Lord. I know the symptoms are like that. I know the condition is like that. But you've said. And you hold on to it and you declare it and you get other people to agree with you in declaring it until you get through to the victory. Yeah? So whether it's uh, um, moving into another ministry or getting healing from a disease or anything big that you're asking for from God and he talks to you, get hold of that word and hang on to it. You see, faith comes by hearing a word from God and you grab on to that word and you hold on to that word and you declare that word and you stay with that word that you've heard from God until you get the victory. You see, that's the difference between a victim and a victor. They get hold of that word and they hold on to it right through to victory. And so if God does talk to you, value it, grip it, and repeat it until you see it materialize and come to pass. You see that ministry that you've got to move into. You see that healing that you've got to move into. You see that change of of relationship with someone. Whatever you've been praying about and God gives you a word, hang on to it until it comes to pass. That's hearing from God. And the more you do that, the more you will develop as a follower of Jesus. You'll go from striving to thriving. 
You'll go from thriving to influencing other people. You'll go from influencing other people to targeted influencing that actually changes the society in which we live. The future's bright, Amen. but you've got to keep on hearing God. Yep. You've got to be sensitive to His Spirit. Let's, let's stand. Paul says, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. Disciples, followers are imitators of the one they follow. We need to be imitators of Jesus. Jesus is the one who is a perfect prototype disciple. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear him saying. Spiritually sensitive to the Father's will we need to be spiritually sensitive to the will of God.